Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. So imagine with me this morning, and maybe this will happen afterwards, imagine with me that as you walk out of the service, you go into, you're invited into an immaculate, beautiful meal. I'm talking about like a meal meal, like one where you walk into the room and the place is just set up perfectly. The plates are on the table. The ambiance in the room is beautiful. You walk in and you are seated at this table and waiters and waitresses begin to bring in really nice hot bread Bread being God's favorite food, clearly. Lots and lots of hot bread right before you. They're bringing in steak and baked potatoes and roasted vegetables. And you see this chocolate cake sitting in the middle of the table. And you just begin to become so excited. You ever been a part of a meal like that? It's just like this is immaculate. And you sit down, and as people begin to eat the food around you, this beautiful, immaculate feast, you come to a very startling realization. You come to something that makes you feel in that moment very sad, and that's that you're not hungry. You already ate. That morning, you were stuffed because you ate a bag of chips on the way You had nothing else. You had a few breakfast burritos. And as you sit down at this meal, you didn't know you were about to consume. Everything in you wants to eat and enjoy it to the fullest of your ability. And yet you just simply aren't hungry. You should be, but you're not. You're wishing with everything inside you that somehow things will just be cleared out and make room for more, but no, you just can't. There's just, there is a desire for hunger, but the hunger itself is not here. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. If you've been at a meal and you've previously ate, unfortunately, and you want to be hungry, but you aren't. I remember I was getting texts from Chad Bowman, one of our elders who's in Alabama. On the way back from, from Alabama a few years ago, we planned on stopping at this incredible barbecue restaurant. Incredible. Um, and, and we were excited. This was going to be the going back to Kentucky trip, stop at this famous place that had been on TV. But the night before, uh, we ordered some DoorDash, and I got sushi, um, Don't order sushi in Alabama. That's just a general rule. Write that down. If you remember anything today, don't DoorDash sushi in Alabama. And so I woke up very, very, very sick in the middle of the night, and I had to sit and watch 30 of my friends absolutely consume the heck out of some of the best barbecue in the world. I wanted so badly to be hungry, but I couldn't. I just couldn't be. As we enter into this season of Lent, Lent is about paying attention to our appetites. It's about paying attention to our desires and how they have turned towards lesser things, how they have stolen our hunger for what is good and for what is beautiful and for what is true. 
And I think if we're going to find any kind of meaning in a season like this as a church, it's going to come with some deep work within ourselves of recognizing those hungers and desires and coming to the end of ourselves where we're willing to together as not only individuals but as a family say, I want to be hungry again. I want to rediscover the hunger that I once had for God. And where do I learn to recover that hunger. That's where our story begins. The central story for the season of Lent that frames out everything in Matthew 4, as we just heard. Right before this, right before this happens, Jesus is baptized. We see the Holy Spirit uh, come on him like a dove. The voice of the Father says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Beautiful scene, an affirmation of Jesus's divinity. It marks the beginning of his ministry. And so his ministry in this moment begins. How does it begin? Not with drawing large crowds, not with healing along the highway. It's something we probably least expect. Look with me again in Matthew chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, to say the least. That's not exactly the ministry launch party most of us would expect. Instead of moving into the crowds, moving into the wow, Jesus walks into the desert, not by accident. He didn't stumble there, and somehow God chose to use the desert. No, it says here clearly in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The same Holy Spirit that just descended upon him like a dove was the same Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead was the same Holy Spirit who leads him into a place of need into a place of hunger. And sometimes I think it's hard to wrap our minds around these stories that center on Jesus's humanity. Because when I think about, or I used to think about Jesus moving into the desert for 40 days, I, I unintentionally imagined it being very robotic and, and detached and almost mimicking a vulnerability that wasn't actually there. So he walked into the desert, but he's Jesus. And so it doesn't, it, hunger doesn't really mean he's hungry or the desert doesn't mean it's hard on him, but that could not be further from the truth. Jesus in the fullness of his humanity was led into a place of vulnerability. He was led into physical vulnerability, which opened the door then for spiritual vulnerability. And being tempted by the devil, the same is true for us. We see who we really are when we are hungry, right? Some of us more than others. I mean, I, I can, I'm not going to name names, but some of you all are perfect angels at times. But then the moment you get hungry, you are whittling prison shivs ready to stab people in the neck. Hunger reveals who we really are, does it not? <laughs> this is the kind of desert work that God is doing. When we get into a place of need and hunger, it reveals who we are. And so as Jesus walks into need, as Jesus walks into hunger, guess what the purpose is? We get to see who he really is. That's what's happening in our story. 
And notice with each one of these temptations, they speak to these very human needs. All Satan is doing as he's tempting us is offering counterfeit versions of promises that we have already received in Jesus. He's taking good desires and he's distorting them. He's twisting them into shapes of destruction for us. That's what makes sin and temptation so difficult. We are choosing bad solutions to good problems. We're choosing bad solutions to good desires. And more often than not, it's coming with this promise that's giving us something that we actually already have. Which is why the enemy, his only real tactic he has is temptation. Because it's the sum power, of his, sum total of his power. It's lies. It's tempting us with lies about something that we have already been given, already received in God. Promises that have already been spoken to us. That's where temptation comes from. Stanley Hauerwas, he wisely points this out. He says that our, our sin drives us mad. Because our very ability to revolt against our Creator is dependent on the gifts we have been given by Him. And that is a strategy still of the devil in the desert as it comes to Jesus. He's offering Jesus what He already has. He's not offering Jesus in this temptation something that is not present already. He is twisting and weaponizing God's goodness that we sang about this morning against the will of God. Notice with each one of these temptations, it's an attempt to satisfy good desires. Look at the first temptation. If you are the Son of God, tell the stones to become bread. This temptation speaks to our desire for security. Jesus, like us, was tempted to shortcut to shortcut his way to provision and steady of trusting that the same spirit that fell upon him at his baptism would not lead him into a place of need. He's tempted to take the shortcut instead of trusting that the Holy Spirit will make a way. I mean, this is a natural human need. We all want to be safe, don't we? We all want to feel Secure. We want to know that our basic needs will be met. We want to know that we will be cared for, that there are good things in this world that ultimately won't run out in the end, that won't leave us empty. Many of us I know who have grown up in poverty are in situations where we did not always feel as if we were going to be safe. We know what it feels like to live in that gray area of never really knowing if you can be at rest because you don't know if there is going to be enough. And when this is distorted, we ultimately begin to question whether or not God can be trusted in those places, whether or not we know he will provide in those places, if there's ever enough to go around. And so we become, in response to this need, greedy or fearful or restless because God won't come through. And if God won't come through, somebody's got to, so I will. And there's a second temptation. He says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. This temptation speaks to our need for belonging. Satan wants Jesus to prove himself, to make this public spectacle 
so that the world can know once and for all that he is who he says he is. Because when they know he is who he says he is, then he belongs in this. He has that identity. So when sin distorts this good desire for belonging, we become chameleons. We become the constantly looking for places where we can fit in, where we can prove ourselves, where we can show that we belong. So maybe this is a focus upon our appearance. Maybe it's being angry about the same things, being angry about these just causes that we're always trying to jump on board with. We have this basic need in this to belong. And when we fail to see ourselves and understand our identity as sons and daughters of God, we fail to find our roots in our identity in who Jesus has declared us to already be, we're constantly looking to everyone else to find that. We're constantly looking to groups and people and places to tell us who we are when we have not found that in God. We always, always, always have something to prove. Finally, there's this third temptation that Satan brings. He takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. He says, again, the devil took him into this very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their splendor. He says, all this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The temptation speaks to this very human need for significance. We want to make a mark on the world. We want to know that we, with our lives, can make a difference, that with the power we have, we can bring some sort of meaningful change, not only in our world, but in the world around us. Every human being hopefully feels this, that we want to have the ability to do something with our lives that matters, right? Every single one of us should feel that desire. We want to make, in some senses, a name for ourselves. And when sin distorts this desire, we see people grasp after power and other, uh, over others to accomplish what they believe to be right. Wars are started by people who decide to grasp for this kind of power, who decide to grasp after significance apart from God when they do not trust what God accomplishes on his own in them, they compromise every single belief that they have in order to hold on to that power because when they don't have that power, they don't have that significance. Now, luckily, the church has never been about grasping after power and holding on to that at all costs, right? Yikes. Yes, this is a common temptation for us to compromise, to hold on to what we feel like God can't do on his own. On a smaller scale sometimes, too, we're constantly measuring ourselves against others, seeing what we have accomplished in comparison to other people. Pastors do this a lot. We look to other churches and pastors and numbers and nickels and noses and things like that and wonder how well we're doing in comparison to those people down the street. Massive temptation in ministry. Trying to always see where we stand. Sacrificing in the process love and relationships so that we can continue to build our brand. And most of the time, we avoid these conversations about 
sin and temptation because when we speak of security and belonging and significance, it gets to places that sometimes become uncomfortable because all three of these are are good human desires, right? You should want security. You should want belonging and significance. But the truth is, This lies at the heart of the enemy's strategy every time because you already have security in Jesus, don't you? You already have belonging in Jesus, don't you? You already have the fullness of significance in Jesus, don't you? This is what the enemy brings every single time. The promise to give you what you already have. The promise to give you what God has already spoken about you and for you. My friend Matt Tebby, he writes that sin at its core is fed by the lie that we have to hustle for something that we already have. Now, I love that definition because in a way it demystifies what temptation is. I I used to think when I I thought about the, the devil and the enemy being the one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, we often picture the dastardly pitchfork wielding, you know, red guy who's coming up and poking us and trying to get us to to stab people. And I mean, just stuff that's very wildly out there and beyond what is actually reality. Because in reality, the very simple demystified version of what temptation is, is far more dangerous. Because the enemy can easily convince us to look elsewhere for the very things that God has already given us that we already have, that strategy has not changed since creation. It's the same. And the only reason we look elsewhere, even when we know we have these things in God, is because when we get in these places of need and despair, when we get into the desert, when we walk into the wilderness of our lives, it's scary. We encounter fear. And when we're afraid that God won't provide for us, that, that we won't belong, that our lives don't really matter in the end, we, we settle for lesser things to just alleviate those fears for a moment, to make us just, in our, at least in our minds, invulnerable to the need for God. But, but the good news that we have today is that Jesus entered the desert for us. That Jesus, when he faced temptation, Jesus faced temptation for us. When Jesus overcame the enemy, guess what Jesus did? Jesus overcame the enemy for us. That's good news. There is no desert we walk into that Jesus is not already present. There is no desert we walk into that Jesus has not already overcome. We do not have to be afraid of our need. We do not have to be afraid of facing our desires because in facing them, what we find is Jesus already present and overcome in this. Again, Stanley Howarth writes this. He says, the devil's temptation, they're meant to force Jesus to acknowledge that our world is determined by death. Death creates a world of scarcity, a world without enough food and power or life itself. But Jesus resists the devil because he is God's abundance. 
Jesus brings a kingdom that is not a zero-sum game. There is enough food and power and life because the kingdom has come, making possible a people who have the time to feed their neighbors. Fear creates scarcity, but Jesus has made it possible for us to live in trust. And by resisting the devil's temptations, Jesus has made it possible for us to live without fear. When he entered the desert, he entered the desert for you, and he entered the desert for me so that we do not have to fear. Because if Jesus is my security, I don't have to be afraid. If Jesus is my belonging, I don't have to be afraid. If Jesus is my significance, I don't have to be afraid. That's the heart of this season that we enter as we intentionally move into our own hunger, into facing our own desires, into being honest about where we actually are and not where we think we should be. I believe that Lent is about naming and releasing what has made us too full to be hungry for God. What has filled us up to the point where when we come to the table of Jesus, we want to want it, but we don't. We want to be hungry, but we're not. And there is power, my friends, in simply acknowledging that I want to want this, even though I don't. That I want to be hungry, and I'm not. And coming to the Lord, not just to fill us, but to empty us. But to put us in a place where we are ready to receive what he is offering. And we learn this as we recognize the 